Welcome to Life on Earth Podcast. This is your co-host Adam. I'm joined as always with Ed. And uh, today we're welcoming Azaria to the podcast. Azaria is a mother, a leader, a community organizer, world travel traveler, environmentalist, humanitarian, teacher, healer, and truth seeker, and a total badass and a medicine woman. And we are excited to chat with you today. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. <laughs> I stole that uh, from your Instagram. I hope that's okay. But I think I think they're all true. And uh, for full disclosure to to the audience, this is our this is our 2.0. We chatted before, had some technical difficulties, but if there's any guests that we've interviewed so far that we could do a round two on, uh, I believe it's you. Just because, as I outlined, there's so many facets of really interesting conversations we can talk about. But the, the, the reason I reached out to you initially was uh, you, you are a shaman and you have a shamanic practice. And Ed and I were both really interested in, in hearing more about that. So to get things started off, do you mind uh, just giving us more information on what shamanism is and, and how you uh, use it in your life? Yeah, sure. So I would consider uh, shamanism a practice of intention and awareness and really attuning to certain energies and thought forms and frequencies and rediscovering sovereignty and to some extent learning co-creation. You know, for me, it was the understanding that there is no separation between myself and God, that there's nothing external from me that has power over me or my experience or my reality. And so shamanism, it's a mix of many things. Uh, But what I enjoy most about it is truly coming to resolution with our own inner power and our own inner authority. And so how I use that on a day-to-day basis is Every morning I set an intention of what I'm wanting to feel that day. And I single, like I, I hyper-focus on that one intention and I just wait, you know, but even, even the waiting, there isn't, there's spaciousness within the waiting. It's not like, uh, from, from lack of like, when's it going to get here? Because I fully trust myself as a co-creator. You know, okay. so once once I have the vision, then I embody the feeling, and then magic happens. You know, and when I hear that, and again, as Adam said, we talked about it a little bit before, but um, these are faith practices that are definitely outside the comfort zone for a lot of people, um, especially those of us who grew up in the Judeo-Christian households that most Western families grew up in, and. For me, it was always kind of, you know, well, it's not an accident that it was a passed down faith tradition. You know, I kind of inherited it with my, you know, my blue eyes and my bald head and my faith were all inherited from my parents. Um, It wasn't something I went out and searched for on my own. How do you end up, you know, how does shamanism become something that enters your life and then becomes your truth and becomes what you practice and, and follow? Well, I think for me, the answer is going to be different for everyone. But for me, the simplest answer is trauma and suffering. 
you know, like some of the biggest healers that I know have endured severe amounts of trauma. And so really it is coming to understand these experiences that we've had in our life. And it's not that we're changing the story to where it never, whatever those experiences were, never happened. It's more shifting the perspective of this had to happen a certain way to lead me down this trajectory. So I had a huge uh, realization a couple months ago that my childhood and my early life experiences, they set the stage, they set a solid foundation for 2020. Because of those experiences, I was able to, to, to recognize survival brain for one, but two, you know, my home environment as a child was very inconsistent. It was instable. Uh, I, I, I myself experienced varying degrees of extreme trauma, but, or I should say, and that set me up to be more adaptable in situations where everything shifts moment to moment. Okay. So do you feel like that's, you know, that early trauma is what sought you on a path of looking for enlightenment? You know, what was the first catalyst to make you think that, hey, maybe everything that I was taught by my parents isn't the only way and I need to go on a search for my own spirituality? You know, what was the catalyst for that? Well, as an early child, I would go to church with my family and I often found that most of my curiosity and my questions weren't something that was uh, praised or encouraged. Hmm. And so that, I, I mean, for me as children and humans, that wasn't enough for me, you know, um, the, the concept of blind faith, it wasn't enough for me. And, um, you know, I graduated high school three years early and I started hitchhiking for three years. And I remember I was about 15 and I wanted to get a degree in religious studies because I felt like religion is the number one cause of war. And that if you could understand the common thread between all of them, that welcomes more of a peaceful dialogue. And so uh, when I was 15, I started researching different religions. How I came across shamanism in specific is uh, I went to work at a refugee camp with my organization doing humanitarian work. And I was serving refugees escaping genocide. And when I came back, uh, you know, it was very obvious that I had PTSD. I reached out to different coaches and counselors. And every time I brought up the word genocide, they would shut down. It, it was fascinating. Um, I could see instantly how uncomfortable they were. And there's a disassociation between that, right? Like there's a disassociation between hearing the word and understanding the magnitude of what that actually 
looks like. And um, I had attended a shamanic gathering here in Portland, Oregon. And after the class, I pulled the teacher aside and I said, you're never gonna believe me, but it feels like I'm carrying energy that isn't mine. And because when I would go to sleep, it's like every refugee that I helped, I could see what they experienced. I could feel it in my body. Uh, there were times when I was triggered and I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know the people around me. It was, it was like I was actually out of my body. And so when I approached this woman and, and told her, you're never going to believe me, but it feels like I'm carrying energy that isn't mine. She said, yes, I absolutely do believe you. And that's what shifted my entire experience. I can't imagine what carrying the weight and the uh, atrocity seen by refugees fleeing genocide, what that kind of weight would feel like on somebody's shoulders. So I get why that's something you'd have to pursue relief from um, or understanding of at least, for at the very least, because carrying that kind of thing can't be something you can live with. It's just, I can't imagine how you would process that externally, let alone carry it internally. Um, what was done to get rid of that energy? Was there something specifically done that then allowed you to buy into shamanism? Because the reason I ask is my, my story is very similar to yours. Grew up with <clears throat> Western religion and the doctrine just didn't vibe and resonate. And um, I, I found it interesting that your path um, led you to, you were out on your own on 15 and you were led to work in a refugee camp. And oftentimes, uh, not from a passing judgment, but some, some people that break away early go to drugs and alcohol and other things, but that doesn't sound like that was your path. But <clears throat> was there something specific that allowed you to, to see something tangibly? Because as you had mentioned with religion, you know, it was just like blind faith. Was there, was there something that caused that shift in you to move forward with shamanism? Yeah, so I, I first wanna say that the drugs and alcohol, they were a factor in my life. Um, from the age of 15 till about my mid twenties, it was just this constant, um, misuse of recreational psychedelics as a means of escaping pain and trauma. Um, in regards to what solidified that belief system, I found myself isolated um, this was about four years ago. I found myself completely isolated by my peers. I mean, several people within my inner circle communities, they know me through my volunteer humanitarian work, but to like personally know my upbringing, my stories, um, less than a handful of people truly know that. And I learned really quickly that I needed to get help. And with every message that I got from a counselor saying, unfortunately, 
I don't have the skill set to facilitate your needs. I found myself going out to nature a lot and screaming in the woods, like just screaming as loud and as long as I could until I couldn't feel it anymore. And I could feel the fire, fire spirit coming from my feet and moving up through me. I could feel the prana move through me like a wave. And the trees didn't judge me. They didn't silence me or tell me I was too much. And that relationship brought in so much peace and understanding. Uh, and and on, on a side note, the trees love when humans scream to them. <laughs> you know, like they love it. Um, but that's that's really what solidified it to me. I started to recognize that when I sat by the water, my grief would move through me. When I screamed to the trees, my rage, I would give them my rage and they would gladly take it for me. You know, again, without all of the conditioning, without all of the judgment, without all of the... Um, Nature has always been a consistent ally for me. Is that something that you feel like you were born with or you had to develop? Oh, I had to develop it. Okay. For me, a majority of my life, I lived in my masculine energy. And so that was, you know, primarily to help keep me safe, uh, but also as a means of being seen. And so I was also raised in a home where if I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't contributing. If I wasn't working, I wasn't contributing. Um, and so it took years, like it, it took the collapse of my health for that to shift. And for me to be like, okay, this way of living isn't sustainable. I find that interesting. You meant bring up your health. Um because you know, full disclosure, that also resonates with the path I'm on, working in mainstream Western medicine for now, I think going on 13 years, and just getting introduced to the ideas of shamanism and coming at it from a, a space of being a really firm skeptic. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear that, to hear that shift in you being caused by an illness because I'm, I'm at the, at the stage where, um, as a, as a clinician, you get a, a certain amount of experience and you've, you've just seen things thousands, some things, you know, tens of thousands of times. And for me, I'm starting to wonder why and starting to say, okay, these patterns are happening in people. Is there something maybe more energetically, whether it's trauma and, and, or, you know, that's just, I think one of the main ones, but you were able to tune into the fact that it affected your health and it was through your illness that you were able to somewhat heal yourself. And then also using sounds like prior trauma as a superpower that kind of opened you up. Is all that, is all that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I have a mentoring practice also like any client that I work with or that comes to me for shamanic work, you know, um, 
I like to ask them, is it, you know, is this, is this something that you believe? So like, let's say for this example, somebody is coming to me with um, depression or uh, a physical illness, you know, and they talk about going to a doctor and the doctor giving them this diagnosis, you know, like this is incurable or this needs medication. Even a simple question as, well, do you believe that? It's like game changing, but it's the simplest question, you know, like, do you really believe that your healing is going to take years and years and years and years? Or do you believe that this is something that can happen like that? And then you can move on with your life, (laughs) you know, but even that, uh, when I speak to people about even just the duration of our own healing and how it can happen simultaneously, and then how you can get your time back. That I've noticed so much resistance from people about that, that simple belief system. You know, it's like we hold ourselves hostage and like, at least culturally, you know, we're conditioned to believe that suffering is equates to success. Right. You know, well, like, oh, like, we, go ahead. I was just going to say, when, when I hear you say this, I think a lot of us, and I go through this more than anybody, we have our defense mechanisms. We have our, our force fields up because there's an inherent feeling of if you're right, then I'm wrong. And I've been, my parents didn't start indoctrinating me with, you know, westernized spirituality beliefs when I was 16 or 17. It started from birth all the way through the 18 years I lived there, undoing 18 years worth of programming. And again, it was the first programming I ever got. It was the first understanding of the world I ever got the first perspective there's a certain tethering aspect to that where I feel more stable in my insecurity and in my pain and in my suffering because it's what I know it's what I'm used to Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of people need that ego stripping realization of maybe not everything I know is fact maybe I need to go and experiment and learn and seek other things but how do you just do that when you feel so cemented and again it's the same thing as cycles of abuse. People get cemented in that feeling. They get so used to that feeling that it's almost dance with the devil that I know instead of go out and seek enlightenment and healing in another way because that takes away so much stripping down. Because as you're even describing this, I fancy myself as somebody who's pretty open to, I don't know. I just don't know. So I want to hear other people's points of view and then go out and research it. And there's a, a huge part of me that just feels so closed because I'm it's so against everything I was ingrained with from birth from you know family and friends and just my life situation so when you say that there's a definite aha moment of you're right you know we are we are kind of ingrained with this feeling of suffering and this feeling of in order to achieve enlightenment you have to go through a torturous path to get there and when you describe no you probably don't that for me is like well shit for 43 years, I've been suffering, you know, where was this when I was six? But, uh, but I think that's why it's important to, to keep the open mind and actually listen to what you're saying, because there's a lot of inherent truth to that, where maybe suffering isn't the path to enlightenment. Maybe that's all been kind of a lie that I've just been believing because it was the first lie I ever heard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I, I facilitate water fast journeys and your belief systems have everything to do in your experience. And, you know, digging deeper into the like indoctrinization of suffering and success, you know, like um, it is a deeper question than that would, would be your belief, your belief systems on worth. You know, like, are you worthy of an easy, peaceful, relaxing life? You know, like that would be a deeper question to that. Um, As I was hearing you speak, uh, the first thing that came to my mind, at least in my own practice, in my own journey is what does safety feel like in my body? What does it feel not my environment, not my relationships, not based on anything external from me. What does safety feel like in my body? Do you think and, some people you know, don't know? Worked, I'd say most of us. Pardon me? I was just thinking, you know, I didn't know what it felt like until I, I this is just me just talking. I'm just, what I said was, I, I don't you think a lot of people don't actually know? Um, it wasn't until I had my profound and abrupt awakening in 2017 that I, I had realized that I had been walking around and in this intensive state of anxiety, which was just normal for me, completely normal. I had no idea. And it wasn't until I tapped into that deeper truth of my authentic self. And that's, that's why I'm so interested in this, because I think, as we've already pointed out, there can be that, that true healing, and that's where you're going. So it's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. This is why I really enjoy uh, the practice of water fasting because we stimulate ourselves so much that we don't fully understand what safety and nourishment feels like in our bodies. You know, like if you're giving yourself coffee or sugar or gluten and your body is like responding and trying to like catch up to all these different signals, how do you know what the center of your hoop feels like? So true. And it's through my own, again, I'm not trying to talk about myself, but just keep, you know, uh, keep the conversation going because I think these things are so profound and they'll help so many other people, you know, through taking a look at my sobriety, everything else fell into line, you know, starting a meditation practice, doing fasting, as you said, learning the tools through a 12-step program, which were completely foreign to me, and then applying that to other relationships in my life, be it a romantic relationship where you can have codependency, relationship with phone, food, sex, what are the, you know, exercise. The fast gives you a reset, like you're saying, because from the, from the moment we're born, we're, we're constantly putting things in our, in our belly to be fed. And I mean, it's just, it's just a constant delusion. Sure, sure, sure. But, Mm -hmm. but at some point, again, it almost goes back to the suffering, right? Because we have everything in our Western culture to where we actually never need to be hungry, thirsty, cold, hot. I mean, obviously, you know what I'm saying? It's just maximized comfort. So we're, we're losing touch with our 
I don't know the, the right word, but the, you know, that, that genuine homeostasis, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple concept too. It's like, I guess I'm going to go off on a tangent, but like, I, I think there's a ton of medicinal benefit where, and, and this has been proven with clinics, fasting clinics, True North is one out of Santa Rosa, where they're, their data, they're healing pretty serious diseases under the direction of a medical doctor just by fasting. And mm-hmm. there's, there's not a lot of money in fasting for, for marketing. I don't know if you see where I'm going, but um, we, we've kind of hinted at the, the money. Well, the, money the money comes in when people feel separate from themselves. You know, when, when, when we aren't grounded in safety and truth and trust in ourselves, we look external and that's where the money is. When people think that their power is outside of them, if you have a fully realized or self-realized co co-creative individual, they don't need anything outside of them because they know that they can just create it. Well, that, okay, I'm glad you brought that up because as you've been talking, I've been feeling a lot of, you know, why? Why is there such a hindrance to believe anything outside of the kind of westernized culture traditions? Um, A big part of it for me is I've noticed that when you have the idea of an external God and an external devil, there's someone else to blame. If I don't, if I did something, if I've been in a rut and I've been acting out, then I can turn to God. It's the devil's been leading me this way. There's, you know, the late great Millie Vanilli said it best, blame it on the rain. It ain't my fucking fault. It's something else's fault that I am doing these things. Mm-hmm. But when you talk, there was, an, there was an absolute fear response to me of, well, shit, if there's no external God, no external devil, then I have been doing a lot of things wrong and I have no one to kind of use as a scapegoat. And I mean, using God as a scapegoat period is probably shitty, but let's be honest, people do quite often. It's also an excuse for bad behaviors. Um, I'm not sexist. I don't believe these things, but God kind of laid it out that men rule the home. You know, I'm not homophobic, but God wants me to be, read the Bible. You know, it's an excuse for bad behaviors. It's an excuse for, you know, for lack of a better term, evil actions. So there's a, when you say the safety response, I would say instead of seeking safety, I think people react with fear of, this is new. This is different. It's outside my norms. How will other people react when I try to discuss this with them? And who do I blame when I fuck up? Because it's only my fault if I'm in charge of this. And I think medicine's the same way too, because if I'm in res- responsible for my own healing processes, well, that's awesome. That's such an advantage. It's scary too. Whereas I can just give the locus of control to my doctor and say, give me medicine. I will magically get better with these pills that cost $5,000 a month, but I don't care because it will take all the onus off of me. Um, do you feel that there's an inherent accountability with shamanism that I think escapes a lot of people? Yeah, so that, that takes accountability to a whole other level, right? Uh, the two words that come to my mind are accountability and integrity, you know? Um, you know, and, and, and even going in into the realm of self-betrayal, you know, of like people pleasing and saying, saying yes, when everything within you is saying no, you know, um, right. 
Mm, absolutely. Yeah, how, it, it requires, it, you know, like us having that awareness of like, oh, I'm in charge of my health, like nothing external from me. There can be a lot of emotions that come up from that and all of them are valid. You know, like it, there could be moments of like, oh shit, you know, like what have I done? But I think that comes back to us coming back to ourselves, you know, coming back to ourselves. Like this is the life that I want to live. This is the life that I create. And, um, you know, for me, again, it's that understanding that I am the creator. I, I am fully responsible for my reality, for my home, for my well-being, you know, even for my happiness, mm-hmm. right? Even, even for my own happiness that, you know, falls on me. And it takes, it takes uh, an incredible amount of courage to really look at yourself and, and to, to say, like, is this helping or hindering? Yeah, I mean, courage is the right word because integrity also got me. When you said that, I thought, oh, shit. Like, there is so much intellectual honesty that's needed. And also, even the pursuit of things. I think what you're saying is kind of terrifying because I like guided. I like somebody to tell me, like, just read this and this will tell you what you need to know. And then if I'm wrong, it's, well, I fucking read what they told me to read. How could I know? But it sounds like there's a lot of internal work and soul searching and not so many external educators is internal educators if that makes sense is that is that even accurate but that's what it feels like when you say this yeah and when I mentor people uh we do do like shamanic journeys and the journey is individualized off of that one person's experience so I've had people come to me and say you know, like I'm not getting any visuals or I'm not hearing anything. And there's so many ways of receiving information. You know, uh, it could be through number synchronicities. It could be through the conversations that we're having with other people. There are so many ways of receiving input um, that align us or like it's kind of like a blinking light that goes on like you're on the right course you're on the right course and then in regards to to integrity that is that relationship with your body your own inner knowing you know like yes the 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 devil and the angel are there they're outside of you (laughs) you know like the devil and angel are outside of you your body will know when you are in integrity and when you are out of integrity, you know, that energy will usually feel very tight and restricted, contracted. Um, and you know, if it's, if it's something that is in alignment with you and your integrity, then it's open, it's expansive, it's gentle. So you mentioned the shamanic journeys and I think since you part of my, um, desire and chatting with you is, is exploring just sh- shamanism in general. Do you mind maybe speaking a little more specifically just for the listeners who may, who may not know, and if this is resonating with them and they're maybe wanting to see you or see another shamanic practitioner, maybe they're uh, let down by Western medicine with a chronic disease, 
um, you know, just to get it started. I know there's a lot of drumming or rattling. Uh, do, do you mind just kind of walking through uh, a, a little bit more of the specifics along with the, the journey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I find shamanism again as returning to your own inner authority, your own inner power, right? And um, there are all sorts of journeys you could go into. You could go into different realities. You can journey to different timelines. You can journey to um, different, different worlds, essentially. You can ask specific allies to come with you. Um, you can merge with specific spirits as well. Um, and... Yeah, uh, I one of my personal favorite <laughs> practices that I don't, I, I, I also want to say that um, journeying for some people just doesn't always entail a drum or a rattle. You know, like I, I can sit under a tree and ask it to show me it's human. And I just touch the tree and it shows me. Um, and so you know, some people have the capacity to walk in many worlds at one time. You know, um, I heard a channeler say one time that people who are on some spectrum of neurodiversity are just bringing in more energy. And that's why they aren't fully available in this realm. So journeying, you have the capacity to merge, you have the capacity to call in specific spirits for specific parts of your life. So I have an ally for my nonprofit organization. I have an ally for my family. Um, I have an ally to help keep me protected. There's all sorts of, of allies that you can work with um, that are here for very specific functions or they're just here to support you along the way. I'm gonna play devil's advocate for the listener's behalf because I'm totally on board with this and I'm going down that road and I'm coming from a former skeptic. Some, someone may be listening and being like, talking to trees, allies, different worlds, what are you talking about? Like if I can't see it and hold it and take it as a pill, I'm not interested. Uh, you're smiling, but, and, and I'm, that was me too. You know, when I set out on my professional career, I, I thought anything that we didn't know energetically is just because we hadn't figured it out yet because there's so much we had figured out. Do you have any thoughts or comments about that? Not, not trying to convince anyone of anything, they'll get there in their time, but I, I really believe there's something to these energies for healing or, or just for optimizing your life, but they're so subtle. They can be so subtle and we can't see them sometimes. What are your thoughts? Um, I would ask what the resistance is, you know, like if you knew that you could attain all of your power <laughs> by like sitting in silence or, I mean, even some journeys, you know, there's plant medicine, you know, like if you knew that there was a door that opened everything, would you want to do it? I'll be honest. And then that. That goes deeper, you know, deeper into the belief system around that of, you know, like living small is comfortable for people. 
you know, like, mm, I'm comfortable here. I'm safe here. I know what to expect. Even if it means I'm suffering, I know what to expect. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like if you had a door that led you to everything, would you go through it? Um, you know, just hearing you say that, I think that that's a terrifying idea. Um, I think when to Adam's point, when he was talking about, you know, the resistance to it and how it sounds so different than anything we've ever heard before. If you come to Western culture from somewhere else and you hear about Judeo-Christian beliefs, I'm pretty sure they sound bonkers too. Reality is whatever you're most accustomed to. So I do have the luxury of, I don't really have a belief structure. So everything to me feels new and exciting. But when you say things like that, it's fucking terrifying. The idea that to walk through the door and you, the process alone, you know, you end up with enlightenment, all those right now, I have this thing where if I'm wrong, I'm wrong with like 200 million people. And there's comfort in that. It's like the old adage of no one ever got fired for buying IBM because everybody had it. And if it goes bad, well, I did the, the smart thing, according to everybody else. There's a feeling of that with this, where if I'm wrong, I'm wrong with a lot of people. And I can just, we can all be like, oh, shucks, we're all wrong together. And that all loses the point, the bigger point of seeking truth, seeking healing, seeking power, uh, seeking peace. But the way, I mean, just hearing it, it's fucking terrifying too. The idea of being in that much control of your own destiny, because then what if things end up going sideways? Then, then what? Then where am I left? I have no one to blame for it. You know, that reminds me of... Uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was working at a pediatrics clinic and every person that would come in, they would, you know, ask me like, oh, where are you delivering? And I would say at home. And the first question they would give me it was, what if something bad happened? And I would look at them and be like, why would I go into that experience expecting something bad to happen? <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make any sense to me um but I guess it it provides that that false sense of security right like aha I told you so and um you know it's I can I can say for for me that narrative didn't serve me you know and and I see it so much with the water fest uh water fests that I facilitate and you know like uh I believe that humans and the body is incredibly intelligent. You know, uh, I've facilitated 10 day water fasts and it's like, I tell people this will, this medicine will show you how you soothe yourself. It'll show you how you speak to yourself. It'll show you how you feel nourished and full um, and it'll show you your belief systems of only water sustaining you. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, there's more happening uh, with me as a facilitator, you know, beyond our physical knowledge or comprehension. There's more happening. Um, there's power really to doing it as a group. Simple. 
there's, you know, it's uh, my experience with fasting is it's a muscle. So it gets easier and easier. I was notoriously a hangry dude, you know, and I used to be a bro trying to lift weights. And I was, <laughs> I, I was told I had learned really in like school that, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't eat within two hours of breaking down your muscles, you're going to start to break down muscle and all this stuff. And I, and I used to get super hangry, but uh, it's legitimately like a muscle. You actually, your body does really well going into ketosis. So rather than burning glucose, you're, you're burning the, the ketones and um, you it's clunky at first. It's like, I don't know, maybe a car that has two gas tanks. And if you never use the other gas tank and uh, you, you switch over, it's, it's a little bit clunky and you got to work it out. But the facilitation is super interesting. I've always done it by myself. Um, having the power of the group to hold you accountable. And then I'm sure there's integration too. I'm, I don't know if you're frozen. I hope not. But I was just bringing up the point <clears throat> that it's the fasting is like a muscle and there's a lot of power in the group group setting to hold you accountable because it's really difficult at first, but the more you do it, the more uh, easier it gets and you get more efficient. Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, a group setting, I mean, other people, I, I believe in any ceremony, we're all whole parts within the whole experience, you know? Um, and I, I, I can say it like I've sat in a couple of medicine journeys where someone across from me will be physically purging and I consciously thank them for doing that for me, <laughs> you know, like I'll hold this energy, you hold that energy and, and yeah, it's, it's whole parts of a, of a greater container. That's a powerful space to be in. You know, I've, I've, <clears throat> I was talking to one of my friends who's on the shamanic path and he awoke me to something that really resonated a few months ago. And it's kind of along the lines that we're all one, like we're probably all going to live every life. Like we're going to our soul. There's a theory that our souls will actually, we're all one divided and, and maybe we're all uh, related in some way, which is probably true, but also we may incarnate every single time and be every single person, plant, rock, leaf of a uh, blade of grass. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but carrying that to my patients who are extremely ill and just being like, thank, thank you for doing this. Or maybe someone that's bo born with a serious illness or a disability, feeling like they're taking that on for me. That's just, that's when I'm at my best is when I'm in that state, not getting frustrated with, with someone else that appears external. I just wanted to share that. Ed, you were going to say something. I was. I was going to say, okay, as we go through this, you know, most people listening to this aren't really going to have a base of knowledge. And that's kind of where a lot of these discussions become very hard is you hear something that's beyond your level of comprehension on the topic. So I want to kind of break it down a little bit. And you were talking about when you go through these uh, meditation and, and um, shama shamanic uh, guided uh is it a journey. journey? Okay. That you go to different times, you go to different dimensions, explain a little bit more about the foundations of the belief structure of the connectivity to dimensions and to, you know, the past and the present and how everything's kind of still related. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because to me, it's so foreign that 
that part is really hard to wrap my hands around. Well, first we have to be open to the experience, right? There right. has to be some level of being open of I'm open to what is meant to happen, what I'm meant to experience or witness um, with ease. I'm going to say with ease. Uh, recently I sat in a breathwork, uh, container and my intention was to be at harmony with my body. Seems like a pretty simple intention of being in harmony with my body. Um, and when we started the journey and I've, I've done breathwork a couple of times now, and it's so fascinating how even the placement of my hands um, create a charge or an intention or an experience. And so when we began the journey, my hands were on my womb space. And in the journey, I was taken back to childhood where I was self-harming myself. And at first I was merged with that child version of myself and I could see myself harming myself. Um, the most potent part of that particular ceremony was when we demerged and I was able to witness the younger version of myself, me at 10 years old. And it invoked this, at, at first it was this feeling of panic. I, I, ran over to her and was like, what are you doing? Stop. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, wake up, wake up. Um, and then after that, you know, it moved from panic to grief, to compassion. This is a child who is clearly needing support. And I could feel once I, once I aligned with compassion within myself, I could feel in my body how that those memories and those experiences were shifting, right? So now I can speak a little bit more about my trauma and about my experiences. And it's not from a place of woundedness. It's not from a space of victimhood. It's from a space of healing. I mean... Again, this is such a new idea, the idea of being able to go back and to experience the trauma more than just, you know, listening to somebody else talk it out with you and be able to actually witness the, the trauma. There has to be a great deal of healing in that for you personally. Um, and I can also hear it in your voice. When you tell the story, I can hear the emotion coming out of you in your voice. Um, that's all from the breath. That's all from breath work. Oh, just, really? just, a, just a, that's what she's, yeah. There, there's specific breathing techniques that are, some are, I don't want to speak for his area. She's nodding, but <clears throat> holotrophic breathing, there's a few different ones that can literally get, get people into altered states. YouTube is littered with it and there can be tremendous amount of healing. Mm -hmm. it, it just falls on, you know, fasting, breath work, breathing, air is available to everyone. These are just, they're almost so simple. It's, I don't know what to say. It's it's just so mind-boggling, right? That the word isn't out there and we're not now, with able any, to heal. With any 
kind of spirituality, there's literature, there's people that are readily available. I mean, I can go online and find 800 people willing to come to my door and tell me about the word of God or whatever deity they follow. Where do you find information about shamanism? Where would I like, just as a dude who's trying to start out like a journey to understand this thing that is very deep and very big and very involved or evolved, where would I find information about this? Where do I, you know, where do I even start? Well, I think it's important to really look at the indigenous cultures and to acknowledge the wisdom that comes through indigenous traditions, not just here in the States, but all over the world, different cultures had different ceremonies and rituals um, and different belief systems. And I think that's a good, that's a good starting point is, is, is really exploring beyond what was fed to us. You know, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, personally. And so a good, a good place to start would be, um, indigenous culture. And then beyond that, it is, I mean, readily available. Yes. YouTube is, is full of all sorts of information. Um, but I think more importantly, Again, when, when we allow ourselves to be big, we invite others to do the same. And I firmly believe, uh, because I know I'm a big energy, like I know that, um, but that's how we find each other, you know? <laughs> like we are meant to be big so that we can attract and find each other. Um, other than that, I mean, a basic Google search, you could reach out to me. You know, I know several people within my community. And then healing has all sorts of modalities. You know, like I tried conventional counseling. I tried medication. I tried all sorts of things. And this is what worked for me. You know, uh, journeying, fasting, plant ceremonies uh you know i've participated in a vision quest um it 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 looks different for everyone and there's there's not one right way of healing and there's not only one only one way of healing i mean when i go screaming in the woods uh i i live in the North Tabor community in Portland. And um, the last couple of months of 2020, I would just go and scream out in the woods. And the woods, Tabor, it's like a couple blocks away from where I live. And I remember, <laughs> I remember um, a friend who regularly comes to scream with me, came with me and my partner was with us. and. I had invited my partner, like, would you like to scream with us? And he, <laughs> he's very like soft-spoken and um, he was like, no, I think I'm going to pass. Um, and when I started screaming, uh, I screamed for as long and as loud as I could. 
but afterwards, four other people started screaming too. <laughs> and yeah, when, when, we're, when we really allow ourselves to fully be authentic, that allows other people the safety yeah, to be themselves too. That is beautiful. And that's, for me, one of the goals of this podcast is um, <clears throat> I feel like I suffered a tremendous amount because I was ignorant and I didn't know. And I think they're tapped into some universal truths of you, as you have outlined and just want to get an alternative message out. And, and, you know, to be clear, I still work in Western medicine. I still prescribe medications. Like you said, I mean, they're, they're just different tools, but I think, um, I think it's good to have more tools in your tool belt to help, mm -hmm. to help people. And that, and that's where I'm coming from. So not throwing out the baby with the bathwater with the Western stuff, but, um, being authentic and getting that out is, is really such a theme of 2020 that I've seen over and over again. It's funny, you know, as you were talking about screaming and other people joining you, I was just thinking about like, if you're ever behind a car when it's driving slow and like, uh, there could be a, a row of cars just slow behind them. But once that one person passes, it like gives permission for every four or five other cars get the courage to pass. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that, but like, I think that's a great metaphor for, for this and for getting the truth out. I took my daughter screaming with me uh, last summer and we were packing up our picnic by, by the river. And it was a, it was a busy um, recreational area around Portland. And I'm packing up our stuff and we're holding hands and I was like, oh, we forgot to scream <laughs> and she she was like you know she pulled she pulled my hand and she was like mama what if what if somebody sees us and i i looked down at her and i was like then they see us and then she pulled my hand again and she was like what if somebody hears us and i was like sweetheart i don't come out here for other people <laughs> Like I come out here for myself, you know, <laughs> um, again, I, I think, I, I think for me, it's having the realization again of external validation or approval, you know, of like, oh, what if somebody sees me losing my shit, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I'm doing this for myself. Like I, I believe in my own healing that. I don't care if anybody sees me. Right. And that speaks so much to the role that fear and ego play in the entire process of growth and how much of a hindrance they can be to people and how, you know, we fear something new and different. We fear being seen as different in a lot of ways. And our ego tells us that, you know, well, I'm on the tried and true path anyway, where in reality is there's no less intellectual pursuit than just grabbing onto the first thing you were taught and keeping it as a gospel. Um, you know, and I'm not to say that somebody who did come from a Judeo-Christian household isn't going to go through the process of, of true intellectual pursuit of what is right and what is healthy and what is uh, the spiritual truth and not end up where they started. I'm not saying that. And what I'm saying is the idea that the first thing you're taught is right is not really something I think most people even believe. I think it's the fear and the pack 
animal mentality of humans of, well, these are, these are my people. I've, gr- I've known them my whole life. We all kind of believe the same thing so much easier than venturing out on my own and, and studying something new and then questioning everything I've believed my entire life. Uh, it, it, for that's kind of the adult version of a little kid saying, what if they see us screaming? You know, it's the same root cause of, I'd rather protect my ego. I'd rather protect my fears and let those kind of guide me than to take the intellectual pursuit of opening up to maybe the things I've been doing aren't aiding in the growth of my life pattern. Maybe I need to seek elsewhere to find what is right, what is true, what is going to help me grow as a human, make me healthier, happier, and make life more sustainable for me. So I definitely, you know, as an adult, I can relate to your daughter saying, what if somebody sees me? What if somebody hears me? Because I have those same fears as a grown-up. As a 43-year-old man, I have those same fears of, what if I'm pursuing all this and somebody sees me? How do I explain to them this? You know, how do I explain to them why I'm even doing this? Are they going to think I'm in crisis? I think those are things that happen to a lot of people who, it's easier just to lie to everybody, say I've got it figured out and not have to challenge these things. So, you know, I like that you said that about her saying, what if they hear us? What if they see us? Because that's what I'm doing as an adult. I just hide it under different terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that again, makes me think of integrity and self-betrayal. You know, all of the times where we're like, oh, I'm, I'm safe here. Like, you know, these, my adult healing, I come to understand that my family dynamic and my upbringing were extremely unsafe, you know? Um, And part of my own healing has been taking responsibility of the aspects of my life where I didn't uphold my boundaries. I didn't speak my truth. I said yes when really I meant no, you know, and, and, and understanding safety within ourselves and not seeking safety um, from any person or anything outside of ourselves. Uh, one of the coaches that I follow, her name is Esther Peril, and she had said something that really got me thinking um, and it was a simple question of, were you raised for loyalty or were you raised for autonomy? Um, were you raised to believe that love is conditional and that you need to be in your own experience? Or were you raised to believe that you have a voice, you have a choice, you have communities that you can reach out to? Um, and and that simple question was so profound to me that, you know, self-betrayal has really been an area of exploration and curiosity. Right. You mentioned the community, and I wanted to follow up on something. I think this would be the right time. <clears throat> when you and I met uh, over a year ago now and we spoke, you had mentioned something to me as a man that there there were, were was a group of a man's group of guys getting together and like yelling and wrestling. Um, can you talk through that a little bit? Um, obviously, from when I heard about it, COVID happened right after, but it was actually something I wanted to challenge Ed to go to if and when it gets opened back up. Um, 
Tell us a little more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so men's work is super, super inspiring to me uh, because I feel like we receive all of these messages in childhood, you know, like I was raised in a home where the common phrase was, I'll give you something to cry about. And that really taught me to believe that I needed to be afraid of what I was feeling. And so culturally for men, you know, the narrative of don't, you know, like you're crying like a girl, um, it, it's really put a stain, <laughs> I'm going to say, on relationships. And to be fair, the feminine or, or female embodied uh, people also, there are narratives and conditioning there too. Um, so I just first want to acknowledge that. So yeah, there's a couple of, of circles here within Portland. Uh, there's one, uh, a shamanic men's group that I'm really jazzed about that my friend Ben started. Um, and then across the states, there's the Mankind Project. Um, and one of my friends, Albert, he founded this organization called Sacred Sons. You can find them on Instagram. I believe they're around the world at this point, but they focus on primitive movements. They focus on uh, like wrestling and like physically getting energy moving because it's very, it's very different than a, a woman's circle. Very different. Right. Um, and it's funny when you say those things because, you know, it is true that the energy and, and kind of the reality of, of what being a man and being a woman and being, you know, our true selves is versus kind of the indoctrinated version, kind of the, the way we were raised. I wasn't, while I did grow up in a very traditional uh, household in terms of Judeo-Western culture, I didn't grow up with that aspect. Um, that was not a part of my life. The misogynistic, like the men run the home, the women know their place. I mean, I had a very powerful mom. My dad was very powerful, but he was powerful in the sense of he had stripped through his ego by the time I met him. Um, he was much older. He was 53 when I was born. So we didn't have that dynamic. There wasn't the, the man leads the household. My dad actually stayed home with the kids and cooked and cleaned. And my mom went to work and was the provider. My brother was much older than me. And he was very much like kind of the, we don't say throw like a girl. Have you ever seen a girl? They can all out throw you. Stop saying it. It's gross. If that was kind of the upbringing I had. So when you say that, I will be honest, the idea of the masculine energy of like wrestling into the primitive thing, I don't really have that gene, I think. That's not something that I intuitively gravitate to. I actually had a counselor once tell me that I operate mentally and my view of the world is very from the effeminate anyway where I'd rather be emotional and talk about feelings and, and address the root cause of something than physically. Like the idea of, of being physically combative to get out energy has never even appealed to me. I've always thought of it as like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's not how I operate. Like if I'm gonna get out energy, there's a million ways I wanna do it. I'm not gonna wrestle with some dude. I don't have that need or that urge to be aggressive. So when you say that, some of the other stuff you were saying was actually resonating with me much more. The screaming to trees, the getting out and, and understanding yourself and the idea of your connection to the universe and the 
and not so much an external deity worship as understanding your connection to your own life path and your own power. Like that speaks to me. That's something, that's an intellectual pursuit. That's also a spiritual pursuit to understand my own brain and my own place in the universe better. Those things, when you say those, I get like energized. I get scared, but I also get energized by it. The idea of going out and wrestling with some dudes to get rid of like some primitive earth vibration that I have. I don't, I think I just wasn't born with that gene. I just, when you say that, I'm like, can I sit and watch and, and talk about it afterwards? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe can. I'm also getting closed off. I don't know. You can, absolutely. I, I think with men's circles and men's group and men's work, there's also an exploration of your own resistance, right? So when I hear you saying like, that's not me, I question the resistance behind trying something like that, you know, and the, be the belief systems around even something as simple as, you know, like moving our body. So like when my daughter is in an activated state, I'll ask her two questions. What are you feeling and what are you needing? And, you know, like if she's needing, you know, like, let's say she's angry. Are you needing me to sit with you or do you want space? Sometimes she'll ask me to sit with her and we sit in silence. And then after a while, I'll say, do you want to move through this on your own? Or would you like me to assist you? And the times when she asks me to assist her, it's like, all right, you're feeling angry. We can rip a piece of paper. We can hit a pillow in the bed. We can scream into the pillow. We can stomp our feet. We can go outside and scream as loud as we want. You know, obviously there are some boundaries around that, like physically harming my body or yelling at me. Those are not options and I'm not available for that. <laughs> um, but with these men groups and, and containers for men, they really do look at, you know, the conditioning of men societally, as well as individually. What messages did you receive as a child watching your parents communicate? And what belief system did that create in you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll do anything. This is the thing. Even if I'm hesitant or if I don't see the perceived value for me personally, there's nothing I would ever say no to. You could get me literally to do pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is fun. Everything do you want to do a water fast? What's that? What'd she say? You want to do a water fast with me? I do. The whole time you're talking about <laughs> would it. Would you like to do a water fast? I should show you my phone. I'm over here Googling water fast while you're talking because I was like, this shit's fascinating. Because that oh, resonated yeah. with me too. The idea of you can't truly know highs and lows until you know your baseline, until you clear out pollution and understand kind of where your root is. And that's the feeling I got from when you were talking about is through water fast, you get some of the pollution out of you and you kind of get back to your more homeostasis self of just your natural reduced from stimulus self. Fuck, I need that. That sounds fantastic. When you were describing it, I was over here Googling it and taking notes about it because not only do I want to, I absolutely will be trying it. Just, it sounds fascinating to me. It feels like something that I see a lot of 
why that would be a huge benefit to me. I'm absolutely on board. Just to put a bow on the, if I could, sorry. I, and I think the, the water fast is such an amazing tool. Um, on the masculine feminine stuff, you said it earlier, Azaria. I, th I think you said when you were younger, you had tapped into your masculine energy. And, and just, we, we, we both have both men and women. But what I just really appreciate is your, what comes across when you speak about it is this love for the divine masculine. And I've heard some other people smarter, smarter than me talk about in recent years in society, there's somewhat of a feeling of attacking masculinity as it being negative. And so that's one thing. And then on top of that, there's a lot of uh, man, man children walking around who are basically children who have not, not grown up and they're, you know, either harming themselves or others. And I think this is a really nice container for men to explore that. And it, uh, because what I have learned is, is we lack a lot of ritual that, that has fallen out of our society um, in, in shamanic cultures and other indigenous cultures. There used to be uh, rites of passages or rituals where a boy transitioned to a man. And so we see a lot of this masculine acting out. So I just wanted to explore that for myself because it, it, it resonates. And uh, ever since getting on the path of sobriety, I mean, I've, I've just realized the importance of having a community, having a container to grow. So I just, just wanted to thank you for sharing that with me and wanted to get it out to the listeners. Yeah, I definitely see. Well, and, and go ahead. And, you know, mess like these types of circles, they also welcome in conversations about, you know, like even sexuality would be something that are spoken about in men's circles. How do you view women? Mm. You know, are women objectified to you? You know, like, did, have you watched pornography and what messages did you receive from that? Mm -hmm. You know, so there's, there's deeper layers of healing with men's work. Uh, that I find to be so incredibly potent. And like I said earlier, it inspires me. It inspires me to, to, to see these men come forward and really question uh, ev really everything, not just their yeah. family, but again, like a lot of the cultural messages, you know, that have been uh, indoctrinated or projected onto men. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the men, I mean, we could go on a rabbit hole this all together all on its own, but the whole idea of gender roles in society is an oppressive tool. I mean, it was created with the sole intent of we have power, we have status, we have control. If we can make that spiritually guided and make that almost a doctrine from God, and people can't question it, then we get to keep power and control forever. And so gender roles are designed by, by I mean, not, not accidental, purposefully, as a tool of oppression. And I'm a firm believer that you can be masculine and not be a son of a bitch. 
you can learn to tap into that because I do believe that I know people who are born and they have that kind of natural, again, stereotypical, what we would call a masculine sense to them very much so. And that they operate very much out of the id almost where they're just impulse react and aggression. And you can be that and not be an awful person. You can be that and not objectify women. You can be that and not be abusive. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Um, so I, I love these type of conversations. I love these groups. For me, I think the reason there isn't much appeal is I don't feel a strong connection to that side of me. I don't feel a strong connection to the aggression, the, the need for it. Most of my life is I'm pretty open to an intellectual conversation about anything, sexuality, about questioning my own belief structure. I'm open to those things as in a day-to-day process. I don't, I think a group aspect for me would be kind of harder to open up than it is now. I'm not saying I'm gonna say no to it. I'm just saying that if I'm going to speak my truth and my honesty is I've never been compelled to that. It's never been something that attracted me. The, the idea of men talking about men, even in, in talking about how we need to strip down from certain things, even if I'm in agreement with them, I've just never been compelled to feel a, an intense need or feeling of comfort in those arenas, but I'll do it. I mean, I'll try anything and I'll see if, you know, I'm open to say, Hey, I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> I could be wrong about this. I could go there and find everything I've ever been missing. But when Adam says he wants to take you there, it's always funny. I think people see this scowling gray bearded 250 pound, five foot 10 in every direction guy. And they think, Oh, this guy is going to be trouble. In reality, I'm not, I'm not wired like that. So this isn't the first time someone's told me, you need to go to a men's group and see what it's like and be around the male out thing. I think you'd really thrive. And I'm like, I usually don't. I usually kind of, that's not where I'm in my, my most natural state, we'll say. Um, and I've known that since a little kid. I really, kid, I would gravitate towards female friends, female energy. And it wasn't a sexual thing. It was very much the energy that women have, the nurturing kind of, mothers of the universe feel to women has always been very appealing in a way of it makes me feel a certain way that I like. And it, it makes me think more. It makes me more in control of my own comfort level in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but I've always been kind of drawn to the female energy, not so much the male. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to ask a question. Uh, and that is, you know, when hearing the words primitive movements, where aggression comes in for you, because um, a lot of the primitive movement that I've seen, I mean, there isn't, I would, I would even say there isn't really a lot of aggression. Um, and so I'm just really curious where the two connect for you. I mean, I think it's inherent that they are connected. I mean, even if they don't make a violent feeling or an aggressive feeling for you, quick bursts of energy movements are in themselves kind of a violent expression of energy. It doesn't, violence and injury are not synonymous. Those two words are not really synonyms. Violence is a quick burst of energy, a quick burst, a quick aggression movement. And those type of things, have never been something that really made me feel more centered or more like I have something in me I need to get outward. Um, I think also the idea that when Adam mentioned something like wrestling, 
and men feeling the idea of the, they need to get that kind of male energy out through that. I do see men who I see that and I'm like, mm -hmm. yes, I see where that would be very good for you just to get that kind of connection to other males, get that. Cause there is a, in violence, there is a connection. If, and I don't mean like victim being attacked connection. I mean, two men doing that. I, there is a connection. There's a connecting force behind that. Absolutely. I don't usually feel that connection force in, in those type of things. Well, to not to make light of this, because this is very important. And but I mean, part of part of it is, you know, Ed, this has been a very serious conversation, but Ed is actually a hilarious guy. And I I kind of um, like seeing him squirm a little bit. So I think it would be fantastic content for the podcast. That's eighty <laughs> percent of my motivation. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And I think a big part of it for me and associating aggression is I think there are certain things that even when we actively work to remove them from our psyches, they exist in subconscious ways for a while. And people are competitive with me in an aggressive manner, daily, hourly, minute to minute, because I am the definition, mm -hmm. like the big mean looking guy who looks like he's ready to cause some shit. Hmm. I also wear a scowl most of the time. And what I hate to tell people is I'm probably trying to break down, like remember lyrics to a Cindy Lauper song. This is just my thinking phase. In fact, one time I caught myself doing it in our meeting here and I was writing down a time and I was like, was that 43 minutes in or was it 43 minutes from when we started talking that I need to edit that. And I just wear kind of this space and people, I get it at the grocery store. There's aggressive, exhausting energy towards me all day long so the idea of that being something that i need to be bringing into my life it's externally thrust at me so much that i've always gravitated towards i'd rather sit and talk to a group of ladies about like what are you feeling what's going on then i would like to feel this need to like get something out because i feel like that's such a, a part of my life as it is that i'm looking for more soothing vibrations more just sitting pontificating on life that's really where my mind is most of the time. Um, I think it, I've never been one who feels this need to like, and if I yell, I feel like I'm not really getting that release. Whereas there are times when if I'm sitting quietly in a room with the lights off, I can feel my energy change in such a positive way. I think it's just my vibration. I think it's just my connection to the universe. I don't feel connected through movement or Burst of energy. I feel very connected when I remove those stimuluses from me. I hope that makes sense. It might sound like gibberish, but that's that's just I've been aware of that since I was a little kid. I would turn the lights off as a little kid and just sit and quiet for a minute just to decompress and get more in connection with what's around me. I also have to watch doing it because on work meetings I'll close my eyes. And I, that's probably not a good thing to do in a work meeting, to sit there like this while everybody else is talking. But that's very much how I center myself. I remove stimulus. I don't add it. Adding it never really did much for me. And again, I could be wrong. I could get out there and it could be everything I've ever been missing. But there is that initial, we'll see how that goes for me, reaction. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one thing that came out, I think we should <clears throat> move on, but. It, I don't know if his area feels this, and I'm certainly not trying to team up because 
God knows I've made my, I've grown and learned a lot, but I, it feels like if people keep coming at you, maybe it's the universe throwing you a challenge so that you can learn to transmute that energy and like transcend it. So that's, that's just what came up for me and not from a place of judgment because that's the more that, the more that I work on myself, the more I just realize I'm a flawed human being. Just let's just get my wife on here. Trust me. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, not coming from a place of judgment, but. No, that's there. fine. And I don't feel threatened. I mean, I think I'd be thre feel threatened if I had some steadfast, like unchangeable belief structure around it. And I don't, I'm just saying that I'm not perceptionless and I can sense things too. And the feeling I've gotten for myself is not intuitively what other people think that it would be. That's all. I've never picked up personally on any aggressive nature within you, Ed. That's good. I, I, I feel like you carry teddy bear medicine, <laughs> just like really That's sweet. And I think honestly, deep down, I'm a, I can be a monster. I mean, psychologist Jordan Peterson talks about, and I've seen that side of myself, not to reveal too much, but like occasionally I tap into like some dark energy that scares me if I'm being completely honest and vulnerable. So that's something I continue to work through. Like, I guess that's all I'll say. So <laughs> same, same. Yeah. I've seen so many shadow aspects. I mean, yeah. even just that last breath work yeah. course that was last weekend. My goddess, like there are so yeah. many circles I've sat in where I've like in reflecting that I'm like, man, that that was really there, you know? Yeah. And and that's really how I was showing up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's always a hard one too, when you start to have those realizations and sometimes they aren't what you were anticipating. And that's, that's been a big common theme too for myself through life is things you hold very true aren't always. And it's always interesting to see how that comes out. But it's funny that you say you have those dark energies. I also don't see that from you. Mm. Is that something that's less now or is it something you just, I mean, describe that. Describe that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I shared a little bit about the breath work um, circle that I sat in last weekend and just kind of merging with my younger self and uh, like really observing in, in the journey, I was hitting my body. Like I was physically like punching my stomach. And uh, when I demerged with the younger version of myself and got to witness that child suffering, uh, again, it went from panic to grief to compassion. Um, but there, I, I mean, I'm a human too, you know, there are times when, um, you know, like my child and I aren't aligning and there are moments where I lose my shit, you know? Um, but I, I think for me being an in integrity means owning those parts of myself that I know are there you know, that you might not see, but I know, I know what's there. And uh, I think also that's one of the 
main catalysts for me continuing to do the type of work that I do. You know, again, when we do shamanic work and when we journey back to these different timelines of our life, it's not that we are saying they never happened. It is us reclaiming our power and our sovereignty to where it doesn't it doesn't take away our happiness anymore. Okay. Um, on that, I mean, I, I feel like, well, first of all, we're up against it because we have about 15 minutes before the thing's gonna cut off. But um, do you do meta guided uh, shamanic journeys? You know, can people reach out to you and, and, and get more information from you about this topic? Is this something that they can- Absolutely. Oh, perfect. Where would they get a hold of you? Um, so I read tarot on YouTube. You can find my page. It's called the I inside E Y E inside. Um, and then my email address is the I inside 82 at gmail.com. And you can just send me an email and we, like I said, can do all sorts of journeys. I also started a water fast journey group on Facebook. And that's a public group that anyone can participate in. And yeah, I'm, I'm easily and readily available for people who are ready to reclaim their power. I'm definitely going to hit you up on both the tarot card readings because that's something that has fascinated me for a really long time and I want to know more about. And I'm going to hit you up on the water fast journey because just as you were describing it, I mean it was resonating so much with me that the idea of finding my center, finding my kind of, you know, natural state, that, that definitely was resonating with me. So I'm going to both research those more and try and set something up to be a part of one. That was on my, that was on my list of things to talk about. And, and we didn't even get to the tarot reading. We didn't get to the humanitarian work. We didn't get to the, to the fact that you have you know, the nonprofit in Africa and all your experiences there. And that's just a testament to the person that you are and the work you're doing. All that being said, we, you were really vulnerable about your own health and your story and your journey. And I think it is going to be really powerful for people and they're going to seek out some of the things you said, and it really caused a shift in me. So I just wanted to say, thank you. Oh, absolutely. And this is the whole point for me of doing this podcast is to find something that I don't know anything about and hear somebody else speak about it in a way where, I mean, I have an entire page of notes on shit I have to look up now. It's like having homework, but no, that's why I do this is I, I like the idea of learning more about something I just don't know about and that could be changing my entire life. So this was great. Thank you. Thank you both for your time and your presence. Thank you, uh, and everybody have a great day. We'll, we'll life on Earth ain't all it's cracked up to be. Thank you. You'd be fine if it wasn't for me. And I ain't saying we can't get along. It's easy to forgive you, baby, because you're wrong. Look at that hope strung out and dope. From Queen got hood Nick in a row. Mom's working swing. Before he could count
town I see them police to chase you round You'll be wishing the handcuffs little bit loose You'll be wishing you were drinking whiskey on the cabus Cause when the police come with their tear gas preparation Gonna take you down to some secret underground location we just want a little bit of your information Oh, we're gonna stick you and your dirty friends with instigation I jumped up, I screamed, you got half the equation The other half is the majority population They've been shut out of the power consolidation all we want is human rights, not corporation. Oh man, don't you see you're just a tool of the situation? You showed up to protect the state from the nation. Your arrival coincides with the escalation. Do you understand the hidden implication? Am I clear enough with my little bit of accusation? And because I got 12 years public education, they give me time served in one year's probation. Life on earth ain't all it's cracked up to be. You'd be fine if it wasn't for me. And I ain't saying we can't all get along It's easy to forgive you, baby, cause you're wrong